Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Thank you for tuning in to part two of Neelam's conversation with Pastor Carl Shepherd, where they dive a bit deeper into how he contextualizes his work with the church, homosexuality, and his upbringing that focused on giving to the needy, something that was ingrained in him since childhood. How do the bigger topics that are divergent from the way the church looks at relationships? The church obviously preaches a certain type of way marriage works. And we have so much going on in the world right now, not just back in the States, but there's so much divide in how people feel marginalized when they're making different choices in their relationships. I know we've talked about this and you've done your part in talking about gay marriage and you've also got personal experience with this. How did all of that come about for you? Well, first of all, I would say, you know, I think all religions boil down to a set of ethics, okay, a moral code. And I think a lot of people forget that. And I think for a moral code to be effective, it has to be something that can be boiled down to some basic principles and you work from those. The history of Christianity was partly that the only way the Israelites could interpret what God wanted them to do was to take it to the nth degree and come up with this whole dietary rules and and behavior rules and so on. And I think when Jesus came along, he said, you're missing the point. The point is, love God and be kind to one another. And if you start with those two, you can work everything else out that you don't have to say, well, ham is bad, but beef is okay. (laughs) How the hell did you get there? (laughs) And I think there are Christians who are so tied up in fundamentalism, in looking at scripture and saying, oh, Here's a set of eight words that I have interpreted to mean such and such, and that has to govern my behavior. And my response to that was, well, I mean, there are eight words in that particular gospel. Now, the gospels tend to all talk about the same things. And what are the words that another gospel writer used? So does it mean the same thing? So you can at least do that within scripture even. You can get differences. And then you can start talking about interpretation. Who interpreted it? What was their reasoning? How did they interpret it that way? And in the process of that, you can talk about, well, first of all, that wasn't the language it was written in. So what did it mean in the original language, rather than the, uh, the translation that you're working from? How anybody can end up narrowing in so much and saying, this is the only right thing, based on simply a few words in scripture, is beyond me. So I tend to go for the bigger picture and say, I want to try to treat people the way I would like to be treated, golden rule. And I'm doing this not only because I think that's what God wants me to do, but because I can see that that's the only way that society can function well in the long run and try to convince people of that. So when it comes to, uh, I mean, the Methodist church has a big problem with interpretation of scripture and the issue of homosexuality to the point where it looks like the Methodist church is going to split into, and you can throw labels of things. You can say into fundamentalist, into conservatives, into whatever 
label you want to put on one side, and on the other side, you can say liberals, progressives. I fall well on the liberal or progressive side. I do not interpret scripture to, to tell me so much what people can't do as to tell me what people should do. And I think the church is making a big mistake in saying that people who are in gay, homosexual, whatever relationships can't be ministers. Good Lord, why not? Oftentimes they are more caring Mm -hmm. than heterosexuals because they have been treated so badly. They know what it's like to be treated badly, and therefore they're more apt to treat other people well. There's all kinds of ways in which I think the the Methodist church is, is making mistakes along that line because of particular interpretations of Scripture. I think they're forgetting the Wesley quadrilateral. I think in many ways society is shifting, partly because they may look at Scripture but realize there's more than one interpretation. They may look at tradition and say, well, that's how people interpreted things in their society in that age, but that's not how we would interpret things now. And I think more and more people are having the experience of meeting and getting to know people who are gay and going, geez, they're pretty good people. Why should I you know, reject them altogether? I don't think people are necessarily applying reason well, but that's... <laughs> so I think society is changing and the church is not, but that's not uncommon. In one of my courses in seminary, uh, where we were talking about ethics, and the professor at the seminary was actually a Catholic, and she was talking about what does it take to change the Catholic Church? to change the teaching of the Catholic Church so that the Catholic Church, you know, because society is changing, but is the church changing? What would it take to make the church change? And she was talking about the Catholic Church as a monolith with a heck of a lot of mass and velocity in a particular direction. And to change the direction, okay, and here I'm back to physics, right? Okay, <laughs> to change the direction of a very large mass, even if it's moving slowly, takes a lot of force or a small force over a long time. And so it's not uncommon for churches to, to get on their path and be very difficult to change. So as far as the Methodist Church goes, I think it will change, or at least the Methodist Church in the United States anyway, that part of it, I think will change eventually, but through a long and painful process. We've been at it for about 50 years now trying to get it to change, and we aren't there yet. But I think things are coming to a head. So I've been one of the little forces trying to push that big rock and make it change direction. I've done that by defying the rules of the church. Clergy were not supposed to do gay weddings, and I went ahead and did a couple. But if you just do that in secret, nobody knows. It doesn't change anything, except for a very few individuals. And so after I had done that, I wrote a letter to our bishop and told him that I'd gone ahead and done it because it was the right thing to do in spite of the rules of the church. I'm not sure that changed much, but it served as an example to others that there is somebody who's willing to stand up and say, this is what's right and I'm going to do it and hopefully encourage others to do the right thing. And to my surprise, Because the bishop has all kinds of powers. I mean, he could have said, okay, you're done as a minister. Instead, I didn't get a response to my letter for, oh, I don't know, it was eight or nine months before he responded and said, well, you know, of course, that you shouldn't have done that. 
And that's about it. <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that was it. about it. Yeah. That was about <laughs> that it. Was about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. Our bishop is a conservative. In the split in the church, I suspect he's going to be on the opposite side from me. But his reaction was, you know, you shouldn't have done that. And about that time, I was retiring from ministry anyway. So um, to some extent, it didn't matter. But it didn't matter because he waited almost nine months to respond. Otherwise, I would have been retired about a year earlier than I thought I was going to. And further surprise, I got appointed again after I had retired. I got appointed to another church and served another couple of years later. So, And I was surprised that he would appoint me again. But he did. So, okay. I think what you said there that I really loved was that it's not important to just do the right thing while no one's watching. It's also important to communicate that so that it lets other people see that it's okay to be that and to to have that divergent point of view or to stand up for that particular thing that you feel can be course corrected or wh- whatever feels right to you. And I think mm-hmm. that can be really challenging because, you know, th- there's still skin in the game. There's still a reputation to up- uphold. There's still all of these other things that could be playing in our minds. And that's a fundamental learning, I think, that probably comes with experience and a little bit of, you know, hard-earned wisdom, I suppose. Yeah. I think, sorry, just a a side point to this too, is that we don't really debate anymore. I think as a society, I think we're across the board, okay? I'm in India at the moment, but I'm looking at everything that's going on in the world. And I really do think that people do want to just be right. And I don't know that that's a winning battle because I think it's going to create more unhappiness and trauma in the world than we really need at this point. Yeah, there's more and more polarization, more and more entrenched sides, more and more of what I think of as lower level cognitive development, that somebody gets up and says, oh, this is, I think of Rush Limbaugh and the people who follow Rush Limbaugh, you know, God, why should you take anybody's word without thinking? You're right, the people don't debate, they, they simply shout their opinion at other people. Uh, they don't marshal facts to support their opinion. My brother gets so frustrated because people don't debate, they argue. And my older son on Facebook will take on people and try to reason with them because he's still at the stage where he thinks that everybody can be reasoned with, which is a frustrating way to go through life. My wife is so frustrated with the political situation in the United States that she has to vent and I have to sit there and let her. That is like the least politically correct thing to do in that moment. (laughs) Just listen. (laughs) The whole business of stand up and do something, be an example, be a lighthouse. One has to realize that there are different ways of standing up and supporting a cause. Correct. I tried when I was in college going to protest marches. I remember standing on the lawn of the Capitol building in Albany and protest. And honestly, at the moment, I don't even remember what we were protesting. It probably was the Vietnam War, but I don't remember. But I only did that a couple of times and said, this is not effective. This doesn't seem to be changing a blessed thing. So why, why would I spend my time and energy doing that? I'd rather be subversive and trying to change things quietly from the inside. And that ended up part of my teaching strategies. It ended up part of my leadership strategies as the president of the Teachers Association or minister of a church or whatever. I try to affect change subversively, a little bit at a time, sneak it up on people. And the next thing they know, They've changed their mind and they aren't quite sure how that happened. And they probably uh, believe that they did that on their own too, right? Because Which is fine. This which is, is also fine. A as, good long thing. As, as long as they get there, I don't care. And so now when I see things like Black Lives Matter protests going on and so on, 
I support the cause. I'm not going to support the cause by going out and, and carrying a sign and standing in front of TV cameras and so on. There are other ways that you can support the cause. You can support it financially. Yeah. And on, that really bothers me that the only reaction people have to a cause is, oh, let me throw money at it. There's a phrase, cheap grace. It's a cheap response to me. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's like the president saying, or any president, not necessarily the current one, you know, our prayers are with you. Yeah. Okay. So what did that help? That's I need food and you tell me your prayers are with me, you know, I, that doesn't feed me, you know. So realizing that there are many ways to, to react and, and to support and to help, mm-hmm. okay. I urge people to, to react, support, and help in whatever way works for them yeah. within the resources that they have, within you know, where they are in life, and so on. What disappoints you about humanity at the heels of the last conference? Oh, what, what disappoints you a little bit about us humans, all of us? Self-centeredness. Can't see beyond what's good for them or what they perceive to be good for them and can't turn and look out. There was a church leader one time who, who did a little demonstration for a bunch of clergy that were meeting. And she had people come forward and stand together in a circle and hold hands. And she said, this is the church. Here you are in community, supporting one another. You all can look across the circle and see other members of the community and so on. Okay, this is the church. And then she had somebody that she apparently selected ahead of time come up and try to join the church. First of all, they're all focused on one another and can't see the person coming. And when the person gets there, the only way they can join this community is first you have to separate hands. You have to break in to the community in order to join it. Is that the way the church should be? But she said, here's a better model of the church. I want every other person, alternating people around the circle, turn around. And join hands again. You're all connected. You're still a community. But half of you are looking out and looking at others and looking for others. And if somebody approaches, they won't have to break in. You'll see them coming and you'll extend the hand and say, come, here's a place for you. Join our circle. Too much of humanity is that circle looking inward. There are people who have decided that I am Republican and that means they can't get along with Democrats. Uh, there are people who have decided I am liberal and I can't get along with conservatives. We put those labels on people. People go into silos. They only talk to one another and get support because that's all they hear, is they hear what they, what they wanted to hear. They have self-selected into these groups and so on. If we could get people to do that business of turn around and face in the other direction, you're still part of your group. But turn around and face in the other direction and see what else is going on and see what others are doing. That's my disappointment, is that people are self-centered. They're turned inward. They're not turned outward toward others. What amazes you about humanity? Our resilience. We can be so mean to others and people still survive. We can hoard resources so that others are lacking and they still survive. Maybe not as individuals. A lot of individuals won't survive because of that kind of activity. But overall, humanity keeps on surviving in spite of storms, in spite of wars, in spite of diseases, in spite of imbalances in resources. Humanity still goes on. 
which is, of course, a source of hope. Even if I'm down and out, I know there is a better life because I can see all the people leading it. And I can try to get there. They may make it really tough for me to get there, but at least it's something I can aspire to. I don't know what people who are on the top of the heap aspire to. They've already got it all. I mean, what else could they want? You know, the interesting thing there is that perhaps there is no want left in them as well. And maybe there's, I'm not trying to say someone on top can be good, can be a contributor. I think at a certain point, there's, I don't you get to the top of the pyramid, you feel invincible or you go to the other side of the spectrum where you probably actually contribute and give what you can back to humanity. Oh, yeah. I think there are definitely examples of that. I think Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, they're putting their money where their mouth is. Uh, the Gates Foundation, I think, is doing a lot of really good things. I've seen Bill Gates several times lately where they're doing the things Bill Gates wants done and not necessarily the things that humanity needs done, but at least he's doing something, okay? He's using that, that for something. I don't see Jeff Bezos doing that kind of thing yet, but as he matures, maybe he will, you know? When he gets to the point where he hits a trillion dollars instead of just billions, then maybe he can say, well, maybe I could afford a billion or two here and there. You know, one of the things we've talked about as we wrap our beautiful session here is we started at just this recognition of how transient life is and how temporary it is. And you and I have spoken about this at different points where, you know, if I'm breathing, my work is still not done. If I'm here, my work is still not done. (laughs) So what is, what is that for you? I'm hoping there's a little bit of golf in that, but (laughs) what is that for you these days? Is it making sure you're talking to family? What do you feel has kind of even more into fruition in your consciousness, if you will, in what you're doing and what you want to do while, while you're here now? Of course, everything has been to some extent put on hold the last six, eight months. A little bit because of my physical condition, but more because my wife is being super cautious about letting me be exposed to anything or do anything. She still says, oh, that's too heavy for you to lift. No, it's not. Come on. (laughs) I'm still working through my church, the church that I attend now. I've got another Zoom meeting later today to talk about how are we going to resume normal worship. We're going to spend more time today on on one of the phases of getting started with that is, is we'll start with some outdoor worship experiences and they want to know how do I think that can be done? But, um, so I'm still working through the church to get things done. I'm working through music, too. I'm a singer. I have been most of my life. There's a story about when I was uh, in elementary school, I tried out for the glee club and was turned down. In high school, I, I joined the high school chorus in ninth grade. And by the end of the year, I was the lead of the bass section. So I think I have some ability. <laughs> and I don't know what they saw in elementary that didn't work, but <laughs> no, I still, I, I belong to help form and, and have belonged to for almost 20 years, a men's gospel quartet. Half of our music is in barbershop style. And we're still trying to keep that going. Uh, we haven't been able to get together for rehearsals, but we're just starting. We had one last week and we're going to have another one this week. And so we go out and take our show on the road and sing to people and talk to people about the music and how we think that reflects on life and Christian ethics and so on. Some of that gospel music, of course, comes from the black slave tradition. We can get to talk a little bit about that and so on. So I'm still out there uh, preaching and teaching, but using music to help me do it too. And I still get asked to do things like, well, I get asked to do weddings. I can't do those anymore, but I get asked to do funerals and so on. And those are, uh, again, an opportunity to 
if people don't ex get exposed to Christianity any other way, you can <laughs> do a little bit of that at least at a funeral. So yeah, I still will take the opportunity to help people. I'm still involved with those early response teams, disaster response teams. I've taught a class under COVID, but I had taught one right before all of this cropped up in November of last year. Um, and I will continue to do that as soon as it's safe to do so. I'll, I'll keep teaching people how to, how to help people and do that as long as I can. I don't know if I can go on those trips myself anymore. I'm not sure I've got the, the stamina to go through that. It's, you know, you're working 10, 12 hours a day and, and, you know, shoveling mud into buckets and carrying it up out of a basement is, that may be a bit more than I can manage now. They're still saying to me, oh, come along for your, for your expertise and show and tell others how to do it. Stand and watch and be a boss. You know, that's not me either. I can't. Yeah, you got to get your hands. You got to get, yeah, get your hands yeah. dirty. Literally, in that case, if it's mud, two small things. So the first is, is there something you'd like sort of leave for a listener? Someone's listening to this session all the way at the end. Is there something you want to say to them specifically or whatever well, comes through? I never have figured I had the answer to anything, much less everything. Some years ago, there was a movement called What Would Jesus Do? You know, and every time you went to do something, you prejudged your activity by asking yourself that question, what would Jesus do in this situation? I saw that done very poorly a lot of times, and so I don't go that way. But I just keep coming back to the what Jesus called the second great commandment or the golden rule. You know, uh, you, you do to others what you would like done to you. If you treat others fairly, then hopefully you will be treated fairly. If you give to others when they need help, then others will give to you when you need help, which has always been the way I've gone at this. You always help others. You never ask for help, right? If, yeah. if people know you as a person who goes and helps, presumably there will be some gratitude and people will come back and help you too. But you never ask for that or expect it. So living by the golden rule or, or what Jesus called the second great commandment. That's the biggie for me. I'm sure someone's going to find that very, very valuable. And then the, the last, no, absolutely. Because I think I've been listening quite carefully as well. That's, that's a good reminder for me as well. Like, you know, when you're doing your work, I'm driven by certain things too when it comes to contribution. And I tend to forget a few things around faith and letting go especially is one of my biggest hurdles and asking for help is not something I've done very well. I just haven't. So we, we right. share that. And I suppose the last tiny thing, I don't know if you're up for it, maybe like, do you want to sing for us just a little bit? Like nothing massive, no. <laughs> a few seconds, if you will, and then we'll close up. I've got something a little longer than a few seconds. Let me find it to make sure I don't forget the words. But Pete Seeger, who's a folk singer here in this area, actually in the Hudson Valley, but he was known all over the United States. I heard him singing this song that's called God's Counting on You. And I took it and I adapted it just a little bit. And I use this with these volunteer teams going out to help in disasters. I, when I'm teaching the class, I usually sing this to the class or when I'm out with the team and we have a little devotion time at the end of the day when we're trying to wrap up and cool down again, I've sung it to groups there too. I call it the volunteer song. And I sang this down in, in the Schoharie Valley a couple of times too. So it goes like this. When you look and you see things are not what they should be, God's counting on you, God's counting on me. Hope and we'll all come through, hope and we'll all come through, hope and we'll all come through, me and you. Yes, there's big problems to be solved, 
Let's get everyone involved. God's counting on you. God's counting on me. Hoping we'll all pull through. Hoping we'll all pull through. Hoping we'll all pull through me and you. Now don't give up. Don't give in. Working together we all can win. God's counting on you. God's counting on me. Praying we all come through. Praying we all come through. Praying we all come through me and you. What we do now, you and me, will affect eternity. God's counting on you. God's counting on me. Helping us all come through, helping us all come through. God's helping us all come through, me and you. I don't even know how to thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe a hug when I come back so that... Uh... Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely have to have that, yes. Thank you. Thank you for listening to part two of Neelam's conversation with Pastor Carl and his lovely voice singing for us all. Be sure to check out their hearty exchange in part one of their conversation if you haven't already. You can find that in episode two of Words and Voices. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says, be good to you.